Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Pastor Rick Stevens. He's the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll also visit with Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government, and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. It is August the 31st, and on this day in 1980, representatives of the Communist government of Poland agreed to the demands of striking shipyard workers in the city of Gdansk. Former electrician Alek Waletsa uh, led the strike workers who uh, went on to form Solidarity, the first independent labor union to develop a Soviet uh, bloc nation. <clears throat> In July of 1980, facing economic crisis, Poland's government raised prices of food and other goods while curbing the growth of the wages. The price hikes made it difficult for many Poles to afford basic necessities, and a wave of strikes swept through the country. Amid mounting tensions, a popular forklift operator named Anna uh, was fired from the Leonard shipyard in the northern Polish city of Gdansk. In the midst, uh, mid-August, some 17,000 of the ship workers began to sit-down strike to campaign for her reinstatement, as well as for modest increases in wages. They were led by the former shipyard electrician Lekwalensa, who, uh, like himself, had been fired for union activism about four years earlier. Despite government censorship and uh, attempts to keep news of the strike from getting out, similar protests broke out in industrial cities throughout Poland. On August the 17th, an interfactory strike committee presented the Polish government with 17 or 21 ambitious demands, including the right to organize independent trade unions, the right to strike, the release of political prisoners, and increased freedom of expression. Fearing the general strike would lead to a national revolt, the government sent a commission to Gdansk to uh, negotiate with the rebellious workers. On August 31st, Walensa and the uh, deputy premier signed an agreement to give uh, many of the workers demands that they uh, asked for. Walensa uh, signed the document with a giant ballpoint pen decorated with a picture of the newly elected Pope John Paul II, who, of course, was from Krakow. In the wake of Gdansk strike, leaders of the Interfactory Strike Committee voted to create a single national trade union known as Solidarsk or Solidarity, uh, which soon evolved into a mass social movement with a membership of more than 10 million people. Solidarity attracted sympathy from Western leaders and hostility from Moscow, where the Kremlin considered a military invasion of Poland. In late 1981, under Soviet pressure, the government of uh, the general annulled the recognition of solidarity and declared martial law in Poland. Some 6,000 solidarity activists were activated, including Oletsa, uh, who was detained for almost a year. The solidarity movement moved underground, where it continued to enjoy support from international leaders such as Ronald Reagan, who imposed sanctions on Poland. Olesa was uh, awarded the 1983 Nobel Peace Prize, and after the fall of communism in 1989, he became the first president of Poland ever to be elected by popular vote. 
You know, courage is contagious, and you can just imagine the courage it took for these people to revolt against the government of Poland. And uh, they prevailed, and it's a wonderful story indeed. Uh, we can only hope that we have this type of courage here in the United States, because some of the same things are going on that led to the communist regime in Poland. Well, Southwest Florida could rest easy after Hurricane Adalia. While not a direct hit like last year's devastating Hurricane Ian, our region experienced localized flooding, power outages, road hazards, beach erosion, and other comparably minor effects. As Adalia's uh, eye passed offshore about 150 miles on its way to a violent collision with the Big Bend area, Idalia's outer bands and disruptive thunderstorms had prompted Tuesday afternoon tornado warnings that forced children, teachers, and other workers to hunker down in Cuyahoga County school hallways or under desks with anxious parents stuck outside in a car pickup line. But the, by Wednesday, the National Weather Service and authorities had no reports of twist or damage in communities like Marco Island, which had had the alerts. Residents in several communities along Florida's Gulf Coast and inland face a long cleanup as damage assessments and recovery from Adalia get underway. The storm flooded homes and businesses, forced evacuations across dozens of cities and towns, shut down hundreds of schools, and left hundreds of thousands of people without electricity. Now, this is, of course, up there in the Big Bend area. After Hurricane Adalia made landfall in Florida, Governor DeSantis warned potential looters who may want to take advantage of people during the storm of advocates of, of uh, their, during the storm, advocates of the Second Amendment repeated the moniker, you loot, we shoot. And just think about that. Coming from the governor, what do you think would happen if in San Francisco, where all this looting is going on, if in fact the policy was, look, if you loot, we shoot. I think that would have a drastic impact on the amount of looting that's going on, but that's another story. you got a lot of advocates and proponents of the Second Amendment, and I've seen signs in different people's yards in the past These after these disasters, and I won't say it's probably here. You loot, we shoot, he said. You never know what's behind that door, you warned. The impacts were felt from southwest Florida, North Carolina, and Georgia, just uh, still flooding and all kinds of dastardly things going on uh, north of Florida. So, you know, keep those people in your thoughts and prayers, and uh, we're just grateful that we dodged a bullet down here. Well, a military whistleblower is going public to warn the American people about a huge spike in cases of heart failure among vaxxed service members. The whistleblower has chosen to shun anonymity and identified himself as active duty Naval Medical Service Corps officer Lieutenant Ted Macy. Earlier this year, Macy anonymously disclosed data from a Pentagon medical database showing a spike in the rate of myocarditis in the military in 2021. Myocarditis is inflammation of the heart muscle or myocardium. The inflammation weakens your heart muscle, makes it harder for your heart to pump. According to Macy, uh, cases of myocarditis skyrocketed after the military mandated the COVID-19 vaccine for service members. So again, more evidence that you should really hold these vaccines suspect as the president right now is asking Congress to fund uh, vaccines, what he considers to be annual vaccines uh, for the virus. A recent study has unveiled a troubling portrait of public health in the United States, highlighting the significant disparity in death rates compared to other affluent nations. The findings have led experts to uh, assert that the nation is currently grappling with what can be described as a crisis of early death, 
Researchers hailing from Boston University School of Public Health have determined that the U.S. endures a notably elevated death rate while measured against its counterparts. This discrepancy has prompted the term missing Americans to describe the multitude of deaths over one million annually occurring in the United States that potentially could have been prevented if the country's mortality rates were on par with those of other high-income countries. The Boston School of Public Health study conducted in 2021 underscores that a staggering 1.1 million fatalities could have been averted if the U.S. had maintained mortality rate akin to the pub, uh, its peer nations. These deaths encompass a range of demographics encompassing both younger individuals and those in the workforce. Again, I just uh, think this raises the specter of asking <clears throat> what role did the vaccines have in, and contribute to the higher death rates here in the United States? I'm just asking the question. I'm no medical doctor or uh, scientist, but I certainly can uh, connect the dots, and I think it's worth investigating. And then this, despite the rampant fear being spread in the U.S. media about new COVID subvariants, data from the Center for Disease Control and Infection casts doubt on any cause for alarm. CDT, C, uh, CDC statistics reveal that 1% of all weekly deaths across the United States are attributed to COVID-19. For the week ending August the 19th, the CDC's COVID dashboard reported 324 COVID-related fatalities, constituting a mere 1.7% of all deaths during that period. Although the percentage of deaths due to COVID for the week ended in March, August the 19th reflects a minor uptick for the prior week, it's substantially lower than the pandemic's apex when the CDC cited COVID as the cause for nearly one in three deaths, even when accounting for the difficulty in assessing cause of death in a predominantly elderly population with comorbidities, the COVID-19 pandemic nonetheless had a 99.7% survival rate in the United States. <clears throat> and then this, a preprint paper showing ivermectin's effectiveness against COVID-19 in Peru convinced a group of doctors that widespread ivermectin distribution could end the pandemic in October 2020. Because the paper wasn't yet peer-reviewed, it was brushed off. Ivermectin for COVID-19 was vilified as uh, those who were dared to prescribe it, calling it horse medicine and all kinds of things. Now the study has been peer-reviewed and published, vindicating ivermectin as a treatment for COVID-19. Not only did ivermectin work against COVID-19, it was remarkably effective, resulting in a 74% reduction in excess deaths in the 10 Peru states where it was used most intensively. Uh, this was a 14-fold reduction in nationwide excess deaths when ivermectin was readily available, and then a 13-fold increase in excess deaths in the two months after ivermectin was used, uh, used was restricted. Uh, pretty pretty uh, compelling evidence that ivermectin works against the uh, COVID-19. You may recall that Fauci and others uh, uh, condemned and vilified uh, uh, ivermectin, but uh, it clearly could have been very helpful to many who got sick or lost their lives, could have used ivermectin as opposed to uh, the vaccine, which in, in, it was proven to be ineffective in most cases and, in fact, uh, could cause uh, harm. Stuart Varney and Dana Perino of Fox News Media, along with Univision's Elia Corderone, 
will collectively moderate the second Republican presidential primary debate on September the 27th. This event will be aired on Fox Business Network. The debate will take place in the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation Institute in Simi Valley, California, and will be hosted by Fox Business. So uh, the question is, of course, is will the President Donald Trump participate in the debate? My guess, he hasn't uh, revealed, but my guess is he won't. Uh, he continues to lead by a large margin right now, and uh, quite frankly, I don't think it serves any purpose for him to participate in the debate. We'll see what he decides, though. He's, uh, <laughs> he makes pretty good decisions. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at uh, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By Reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Pastor Rick Stevens. He's the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. 
Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Michael Cannon. He's the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Right now, we have with us Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of a terrific organization. It's the Florida Citizens Alliance. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, always fun to talk to you, Bob. Thanks. Thank you so much, Pastor Rick. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, the Florida Citizens Alliance is a group of people just like everybody that's listening today. We care about kids. We want them to have a good education. And so what we've tried to do is fill the gap between all the people that care and the people that need to make better decisions. And so we try to be the voice of the people locally through our local teams and across the state through our work with the legislature, House and Senate and the governor's office and the Department of Education. So we try to be advocates and bring solutions to the problems. We're not just a group that complains about problems. We want to provide solutions. And every time we find a problem, we match it with a solution and get to work trying to get the problem solved. That's essentially what we do all across the state. And I must say, do it extremely well. I was one of the founding members of the Florida Citizens Alliance. I'm very proud of it to see what you've accomplished and your leadership and influence on uh, state government has just been fantastic. It's led to great results in terms of public edu education here in Florida. So I just want to encourage our listeners to go to your website, goflca.com. GoFLCA.com. Well, I understand though, here in Florida, we've kind of cleaned up some of the problems that we see in other states, but apparently there was an incident involving uh, the First Amendment uh, in a school board meeting. Yeah, there really was. And, and one of the problems that parents brought to us years ago, it first popped up actually in Collier County. We began to learn about all of the absolutely outrageous materials that were in the schools. Many of them, most of us would call pornographic. And so we started working to get those out of the schools, and we've had mixed success. Uh, unfortunately, we thought it would be relatively easy once people realized what was going on, that somebody would step up and we'd find a solution. And it's been much more difficult than we thought. But in, in a school board meeting earlier this week in Indian River County, there was a gentleman stepped up to the podium during public comment, which is legitimate, legal. Citizens are expected to participate in that. He stepped up there and started reading from a book. Now, this book happened to be, as I understand it, from a middle school in Indian River County. And he started reading material that's available to middle school students. And it was so offensive. And I heard what he read. And it was offensive. It was so offensive that the chair of the school board shut him down. And when he wouldn't stop reading, which is his right, had him forcibly removed from the meeting by the deputies that were there in attendance. Now, a lot of things ought to come to people's mind about that. One, why was such material available to middle school students? That right. shouldn't have happened. And I also understand that the school board's credit, they're working to remove some materials, but this should have never been there in the first place. This is an absolute outrage that middle school students had material like that. Second is, if it's so offensive to the delicate ears of the school board members, they should be more outraged about it being in the schools than about the gentleman reading it. Right. But instead of reacting that way, they had him removed. And, of course, everybody out there listening probably has their ears tingling right now, realizing this is a colossal violation of the First Amendment. The government is, has no authority to shut down our freedom of speech. And this is a legally sanctioned, appropriate venue for a citizen to express themselves. And the school board violated that man's First Amendment rights when they had him shut down and removed from the meeting. Absolutely stunning. It is stunning indeed. In fact, you know, obviously, you don't worry about speech that's not offensive. You're protecting the right of, for speech that could be offensive or be difficult to hear. 
That's what, why we have our First Amendment our rights here in the United States, and uh, they need to be protected irrespective of the location. And to your point, he wasn't taking a, just any kind of pornographic material. He was taking something that was available to middle schoolers in the library so, or in the curriculum. So uh, I really appreciate you. Know, it's, it, it's stunning, Bob. And, and maybe some, some people would remember it's happened um, probably more than a year ago. I lose track of time on these things. But a similar event almost happened in Collier County when a member of the community, a citizen, stepped up and started reading some of this offensive material. Right. And the Collier County School Board wanted to send them down. Fortunately, the, the uh, attorney intervened and said, no, this is a First Amendment uh, violation for you to send him on his way. And, and he finished his statement. But then, of course, the Collier County School Board didn't get all upset about the material. They just were upset that he read it to them. Yeah. It's the irony, huh? It's so foolish. So, uh, Pastor Rick, just changing topics pretty drastically, uh, we had, of course, uh, Hurricane Idalia coming through, and it didn't fortunately hit Collier or Lee counties, but uh, we had school, the uh, school board or the superintendent of schools decided to have school in Collier County uh, on, on Tuesday. And apparently the, there was a warning about tornadoes coming through, and many parents were outraged. I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I think that's an important thing for people to observe. And we, you and I, everybody understands that some of these decisions are difficult. And, and some of it's based on judgment, and somebody has to make the decision. Okay, we get that. However, parents need to remember that they have the opportunity to make decisions, too. In this particular case, from, from what I've been told, about the time school was letting out is when the first serious stormy weather hit. And it resulted in, I think, up to four tornado warnings in Collier County. And, of course, thunder and lightning, and they don't want kids running out to meet their parents or getting on the school bus when it's lightning in the area. And so right about that time, what we have something like 45,000 students held in the schools, 3,000 teachers held in the schools, and parents waiting in, in line to pick up their children in their cars wondering what in the world's going on. Yeah. Well, these things happen. Parents need to realize if you disagree with the decision the school makes and you don't think it's best for your child – Step up, make the decision that's best for your child. That's the point of the parental rights and education movement in Florida and really across the country. So take courage, parents. Speak up for your kids. They need you to be their advocate. So well said. You know, just, no, no victims here in Collier County in Florida. Let's just step, step up and provide the leadership for our kids and our family. That's uh, so well said. Hey, before I let you go, I want to make sure that we touch on uh, the, uh, the fundraising that you've got going right now. Yes, I appreciate you mentioning that because this is the time of the year when we have our annual Liberty Challenge, and we focus on things like liberty. For example, that's why we notice these First Amendment violations, and we point them out to the authorities so they can stop doing it and even prevent it happening in the first place. But all of that takes money, and, and we squeeze a dollar as carefully as anybody, and we appreciate people supporting us. We couldn't do what we do without the generous donations that people make, and they can go to our website. You mentioned it. Uh, goflca.com, goflca.org, take your pick. It all ends up the same place. And, and we're happy to, to help people with their problems. We want you to contact us when we can help. But if you appreciate what we do and you can help us, we sure need the help. And we appreciate everybody supporting us like that. Absolutely. Again, goflca.com, a very worthy organization. Pastor Rick and Keith Law, the co-founders, don't take a nickel in terms of uh, – 
uh, income in order to do the work that they're doing. It's volunteer, and we should be so grateful for it. So I hope you'll go make a donation. Go flca.com. Pastor Rick, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a great way to start the morning. Thanks, Bob. My pleasure indeed, Pastor Rick. All right, coming up, Michael Cannon. He's the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Golf Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Golf Shore Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities with dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, Gulf Shore Playhouse is building a 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, the state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about this season's exciting productions, Visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to remind you that Lulabee's Diner is known for terrific breakfast and lunch uh, in the Green Tree Shopping Center. However, now serving dinner Wednesday through Saturday to 4 to 8 p.m. The menu is terrific. It's great food, great value, and uh, very informal. Again, Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. We have with us Michael Cannon. He's Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Great to be back. Thank you, Michael. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C., we advocate the traditional American ideals of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. And uh, my area is health policy, and what that means in, with regard to health care is we want to protect your most important health care right, which is your right to make your own health decisions. Making our own health decisions <laughs> just strikes me as so ironic with all the masking and lockups and the things that are going on. Now, apparently, uh, Biden, instead of who doing his job and trying to make sure he's enforcing laws across the country, wants to step into what's happening with Medicare and the drug process. Maybe you could tell us about it. Well, I think this is part of his job because, you know, Medicare is a government program. It spends about a trillion dollars of uh, a 
your money and mine uh, each year providing medical care to the elderly and the disabled. And it spends a lot of our money on prescription drugs. One of the reasons it spends so much money on prescription drugs is because, you know, Medicare could, Congress could dictate the price it pays for every, Medicare pays for every item, every doctor's visit, every hospitalization, every prescription. Uh, But the way it sets up the rules for determining those prices that it pays for all of these items, uh, they, they usually end up overpaying. Physicians in, in hospitals, uh, they always complain that Medicare isn't paying enough. Like, why would they ever complain that Medicare is, when Medicare pays above market rates? And when it, but Medicare often does that. And when it comes to prescription drugs, it is uh, really paying uh, above market rates. And uh, so what the Congress did um, last year with the Inflation Reduction Act was it said to the executive branch, we want you to pick 10 drugs uh, that where Medicare pays a lot of money, where we think it's paying, the prices are too high. And we want you to enter into negotiations with the makers of those drugs to get the prices down. They're, they're looking for 10 drugs that uh, have no generic competition, that have been on the market for a while, that... Um, uh, where there's a lot of seniors uh, taking this drug and Medicare spending a lot of money on them. And what the Biden administration did was they went ahead uh, a couple of days ago and announced the 10 drugs that they're going to, over which they're going to haggle with the manufacturers to get the prices lower. Uh, one of those drugs, for example, is uh, Eliquis, which is for preventing blood clots. Uh-huh. There are about... 3.7 million Medicare enrollees uh, taking this drug, and Medicare spends about $16 billion providing that drug to those 3 million, 3.7 million enrollees. So what happens now is uh, the manufacturer of uh, uh, Eloquist and um, uh, the Medicare program are going to enter into a negotiation process, which is pretty hardball, uh, because either the maker of the of the drug agrees to Medicare's terms, or uh, they have to uh, leave the Medicare program or pay uh, pay a lot uh, pay back to Medicare a lot of the money that uh, they receive uh, for uh, for that drug and any other drugs yeah. that uh, manufacturers Bristol Myers Squibb and Pfizer sells to Medicare. So hopefully this will bring down those prices. It'll mean that the taxpayers pay less for the Medicare program overall and seniors pay less out of pocket for, uh, for uh, their out of pocket share of the price of those drugs. Now, usually there's a patent, I think it's a patent that uh, expires with these drugs. I understand that several of these drugs actually are within a year or two of the patent expiring, which means there would be generic competition. Any comments and thoughts on that? So, yeah, competition, I mean, this process that I've described will probably bring down the prices of some of these drugs, Uh but not as well as generic competition will. Once you get uh, really two uh, one generic competitor will bring down 
the price of the usually bring down the price of the brand name. But once you get two, three, or more generic competitors out there, the price really falls, and that's a much surer way to get those prices down than this sort of uh, uh, haggling process between the Medicare bureaucracy and the manufacturers, because when you've got competition, there's no opportunity for the uh, manufacturers to go to Congress and try to defang uh, the process. Yeah. Um, or, or the opportunities are much less when Medicare bureaucrats are haggling with drug companies, uh, as Biden is set to do right now, those manufacturers can always go to Congress and say uh, uh, and talk about how horrible it's going to be for seniors if Medicare lowers the price it pays for Eliquis and these other drugs. And Congress may turn around and say, you know what, we're having second thoughts. We want uh, we don't want Medicare to get uh, to negotiate these prices down. Uh, and we may end up with the same high prices that Medicare is paying right now. So it's generic competition is a sure way to get the prices down. Yeah. But I don't think that means that Medicare should not try to negotiate the price down the way it is. So uh, I understand, uh, Michael, that uh, that this is just the first round of price reductions they're seeking. In other words, this is a program that's supposed to go on for several years. Uh, so uh, there might be another five or ten drugs uh, in the next year or two. Uh, is this, can it have any, I mean, one of the unintended consequences could be that we just have fewer drugs coming to market, uh, miracle drugs that, uh, because of the, the, uh, lack of money to invest in the future. Yeah. You, so that's certainly a possibility. These prices, uh, reductions <clears throat> that the Biden administration is trying to negotiate are not going to take effect until 2026. And, ah. um, uh, so to respond to the first part of your question, as for innovation, yeah, if you reduce the profit that innovators receive, you're going to get less innovation. Right. But Medicare pricing is not the place to try to correct that market failure of the public good aspect of uh, drug innovation. Huh. That's why we have patents. Uh-huh. We... Uh, the purpose of Medicare is not to encourage innovation like that. The purpose of Medicare is to provide medical care to seniors without overburdening taxpayers. And uh, if you are, if you worry that, that Medicare paying lower prices for these drugs is going to result in too little innovation, the thing to do is not to increase the prices Medicare pays. The thing to do is go to and change the patent system so the patent lives are longer. And I'm, not aware of any economists who think the patent lives are too short. In fact, a lot of uh, economic research suggests that uh, patent lives may be too long. Huh. And we may be getting a lot of low value, even though we're getting some high value drug innovation, we're getting a lot of low value drug innovation as well. So interesting. Michael Cannon, again, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Uh, Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Hope you check it out. Very robust website. Michael, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a good time. Thanks, Bob. My pleasure indeed, Michael. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley. He's the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. (laughs) 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. And a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets. The website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Seton Motley. He is the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. I can't. No one's doing it. Uh, we just reduced the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and it's not happening. Well, you're trying, and that counts. <laughs> so, And we need people trying, and uh, we need some people in Congress trying as well. So you wrote a piece on Amazon, 127 company acquisitions, zero FTC blocks of company acquisitions. There's a story behind that. Maybe you can tell us about it. Well, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> I was kind of in the middle of the road when they when when the Congress confirmed Biden's FTC Federal Trade Commission uh, Chairman Lena Khan. A lot of Republicans voted voted her in, saying we're gonna we want to take on big tech. We want her to take on big tech. Uh-huh. And I thought, uh, yeah, the problem is she's gonna take on everyone else, and she may not ever actually get around to big tech. Well, a story came out uh, this week, some, uh, early in the week, and said the, F- the FTC, after years, the FTC is 
case against Amazon is starting to take shape. And I went, years? It took them years? They're, they're going after, you know, at the behest of big companies. Like, like the example I use all the time, because it's so emblematic of the problem. The, the, the United States airline industry is, is four huge airlines. Yep. American, United, Delta, and Southwest. And then number five can't see number four from where it's standing. Yeah. Well, JetBlue and Spirit are trying to merge. The combined merger is like $3.6 billion, which is what you know United makes in a week. You know, it's a tiny, tiny merger. It's numbers five and seven on the list combining. And they'll still be less than half combined of number four Southwest. Yeah, wow. And the FTC has been blocking it. And got there as, as soon as the announcement was made of the prospective merger, the FTC announced that it was blocking the, the merger. And they're doing this because the big four bribes the heck out of government. And the big four gets what it wants out of the FTC and other agencies. Well, I, you know, I know, I know about, I had that case in the back of my head. And then I read this article that Amazon, which is worth $1.4 trillion dollars, Sells everything, owns everything, a newspaper, Whole Foods, you know, the, the, the case against, after years, the case against Amazon is starting to take shape. And like, they, they, they announced the JetBlue uh, case in five seconds. Yeah. And, and my, 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 you know, the, the point being that, you know, they're, they're making the case. They never make the case. It's like, it's like Biden, you know. We can't discuss the Hunter Biden case because it's an ongoing investigation. Well, it's always an ongoing, you know, it's, it's like a ship at sea that never comes to any port, Boy, right? That's the case. From the firm. Yeah. From the firm. And, and, and so, you know, I, I, I looked back and the, 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 at least 100, Amazon acquired at least 127 other companies without any objection from the FTC. On the way to a $1.4 trillion market cap. Meanwhile, two tiny little Depodunk airlines would have get together with the hopes of competing, you know, miserably against the big four airlines with less than half the market size of the number four airlines. Yeah. And they, the SEC jumps into the breach and immediately protests the, you know, files a lawsuit against the the merger. And it just goes to show how criminally corrupt and crony the uh, the uh, FTC is, the entire federal government is, and all these agencies are captured by the by big business, and they bribe them and and get whatever they want out of them. Uh, so, so Seton, I think you'd agree so that uh, there are certainly uh, companies where we shouldn't. Uh, they have control of the market. They they should be able to acquire others. In fact, they perhaps in some cases should should uh, d divest. Of ownership of some things. However, my understanding is that Lena Khan and the FTC is well. They're working to prohibit any kind of mergers, even mergers that could actually benefit the consumer uh, when the mergers are completed. Well, no, it's not that. I mean, they're only doing mergers. They're only objecting to mergers that could help the consumer. Yeah, because that would because helping the consumer would hurt the monopolists. Like I said. 127 acquisitions for for 1.4 trillion dollar Amazon. No objection from the FTC. Yeah. So the, you know 
the blocking those mergers would help. Yeah. Every time somebody looks like they're gonna might they might compete on one little facet of Amazon's empire, Amazon buys them. Yeah. And there's no objection from the FTC. None. Yeah. None. And you know, and and then JetBlue and and, and Spirit want to get together, and it's immediately blocked by the by the FTC. It's it's so blatantly obvious now. I, I've said for a long time, if the government gets away with a two out of ten on the obnoxious scale. You think they're going to continue doing two? No, they'll do four next time. (laughs) And then they get away with four, and then they do six, and then they do eight. And we're at the nine and ten on the obnoxious scale all over the place. You know, not just in mergers, throughout (laughs) the entire economy. I mean, we're at the point now where, you know, uh, know, Trump, you're being charged with multiple charges of uh, bogus charges of election interference. And your court date is Super Monday. You know, know, I'm happy you brought that up because I haven't had a chance to say this. I suspect that he'll end up just hammering Super Tuesday or whatever it is by by virtue of what's going on. He'll he'll be able to turn it into a positive. Oh, no, no, I'm not. That's not the point. I know. Yeah, I I know. I agree. But the the point is, you know, they're, they're trumping up bogus election interference charges. You know, look at the media today. Yeah. Full of stories of how decrepit Mitch McConnell has to go. Absolutely correct. But every time I mention that Joe Biden has Alzheimer's, I get blocked by <laughs> the social media company. <laughs> it's so true, uh, Seton. That's just unbelievable. I recall, the one thing that I recall that uh, really, uh, really makes your point, underscores your point, is the fact that there's two companies apparently each having some facility to, to create a super miracle drug, and they, the FTC has prohibited them from joining together. R- to- right. right. It's, it's, I, I, I'm trying to do this from memory now from a month or two ago. But it's, it's a, and they don't do the same thing. They're not merging. They don't do the same thing. One, do, one has a potential, like, they can pre-diagnose yeah. cancer. Before you have cancer, they run a genetic test, but they, they don't have the devices to run the test. So they want to merge with a company that has the device to run the test. And the FTC is blocking it. Yeah, that's exactly. So the, we're we're the governor government. And we're here to help you, right? So. You, know, some, you know, and, and again, there's no market consolidation there. No, it's someone who cuts hair merging with someone who has a broom to sweep up the hair. <laughs> yeah. And, and they're blocking it. And they're blocking it. Uh, it's just unbelievable. Seat Monday, again, the founder and president of Less Government. I hope you'll visit the website, lessgovernment.org. You can also visit Less Government on Facebook. Seaton, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. We'll do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-3000. 
1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. We prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in the legislature, and you can find out more. It's a terrific organization. The website is thefga.org. We have with us Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples, and just going through the experience with... Uh, uh, Dahlia yesterday and or, or the last couple of days reminds me of uh, Bill's fame reporting what's happening in Naples during the hurricanes back in the day. Bill, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Bob. And as you said earlier, um, well, we 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 fortunately escaped in Naples uh, a little bit of flooding, uh, but um, for the most part, uh, con- considering what's happening in the rest of the uh, rest of the state and where that that thing thing is gone. Uh, creating quite a bit of havoc especially for for uh, august yeah if you know what i mean oh i do well in fact to, to see the the storm surge coming through those towns up in the the uh, up in the north uh, north florida it yeah. is just unbelievable and uh, anybody who's who gets in the way of that it's it's not going to survive i'll tell you that's it's just no no for, for sure so let's just uh hope that's not an omen Bob, you know what I mean? Um, uh, but, you know, the, because of the, you know, and everybody's <laughs> trying to blame it on climate control and we've got to do something about it. It's like um, folks are a little bit late, I think, on that. And I don't think that you can blame climate control on it, but, but that's a whole other subject. It is I mean? indeed. So any good scoop here on the on the Paradise Coast? Yeah, yeah, we've got some Paradise Scoop for you. So last Friday, I guess uh, one of the council members, uh, I'll... I'll leave the name out for now um got a, received a phone call from our law firm and guess what they did bob What's they resigned <laughs> the law firm resigned i i kid you not the third time okay and uh so um uh, betsy voss or, or both uh the head of the firm had council person well they they just um they needed to uh, resign. Uh, Naples is too political for them, and uh, 
uh, uh, so they gave their their minimum notice, um, and uh, then they, they didn't say anything to anybody. And then on Monday, uh, the the council got the official um, letter of resignation, and we're trying to figure out well why if you, they resigned that Friday, didn't they just send the letter Friday and the guess is, and this is a guess, but it came from some some pretty informed uh, people down there in the city that that uh, the mayor was trying her best to get them to stay um, because you know she's been their 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 pet, you know, and um, so she won't have anybody to, to uh, boss around and know what's going on and what have you. So, uh, but that didn't work. So I guess on Monday they 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 sent the official resignation letter. And uh, it puts us in a, in a, in a hell of a tough spot. Yeah. Um, uh, n- number one, um, you know, they, they leave us vulnerable. Um, they, what they're going to have to, what we're going to have to do is go out and find a temporary firm that will take over for them when they leave uh, until we can go out and go through the, the search firm um process again if that's what they decide to do and i hope they they will do that um and this time i hope there's some better judgment used by a few of the council people when they pick a firm uh to start with you know there's some wonderful law firms around that would do a wonderful job for us in the city we we had one if you remember (laughs) but council didn't like them so uh we got rid of them or they got rid of them early on yeah i mean and, they, they uh, did a nice job now why why wouldn't they go back to that firm and say you know we, we made a mistake <laughs> we'd like yeah. to have you back bob you and i might do that <laughs> <laughs> but but i'm i'm not so sure about some of the others i know a few of them on that council that would uh and say yeah we we'd like to have you back it's been a while let's sit down get a contract you know, you're gonna pay for it yeah of course you are but you get the top top legal advice now, who knows what kind of a pickle we're going to be left in with them. Uh, you know, they're going to have to do some, um, going to, there's going to have to be, obviously, you know, what's outstanding um, there, what's left to be done. And I'm sure there's a lot. Um, and um, it's sad, that's all. Yeah, well, I but must say that uh, when I think about that, my knee-jerk reaction is how long will it take to get the new law firm up to speed with what's going on in the city. That in and of itself is going to take a long time. And uh, Yeah, that's not a knee-jerk reaction. That's that's a reality check. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. Well, uh, that's unfortunate. I think it probably speaks volumes about the uh, difficulty that uh, this particular city council and government uh, creates for uh, anybody that works with them. Right. Right, and, and I agree, and there are some good good council members there. But I'm I'm uh, uh, watching, looking forward to the uh, the next election. It's going to be very interesting. Come October, uh, we'll, I'm sure we're going to be uh, hearing a lot about some new candidates that are uh, that are coming in. Um, I've been hearing I've been hearing some uh, news about it, and uh, it's exciting. And uh, I, I think that uh, there's going to be a good change, and let's hope so, because we still don't know what a couple of them are going to do, yeah, including the mayor, whether she's going to run again or not. And uh, um, she keeps saying she is. Well, one one side of me says, I hope you do, because you're not going to win. But anyway, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. That's just personal uh, 
yeah. <laughs> opinion. So anyway, that's that. That's the that's the city scoop for you today, as far as I can tell you. So what what about the former uh, head coach at uh, Naples High? Yeah, yeah, Bill Kramer. Has he decided uh, to run? Yes, uh, from uh, it's, it's my understanding that he is going to run. Uh, coach Kramer is a terrific guy, yeah. um, uh, well respected in this community, without a doubt, and great coach. And, uh, yeah, great coach. And then there's a couple of others that, that I've heard. I, I, I'm not at liberty to say because they haven't decided yet, but you'll be the first to know once the word comes out. But, um, yeah, it'd be nice to get uh, to get with Gary because uh, Gary Price will run. And uh, nice to get a few more candidates in there and uh, shake up shake up a little, shake up the troops down there. Now, you mentioned Gary. Is he, has he uh, declared yeah. for, uh, for mayor? He has, he has not officially declared but he has said he has told people he is going to run and he's told me the same thing Fabulous. so um uh i think he's holding off a little bit on his official announcement but there's there's not too much doubt uh anymore that he he will run for mayor see as you, so you, that, you think about it that's only it's coming up in february is it not yes it is yep um i think maybe march i don't know because it's president it's a presidential um election and i think they the, the changes on the uh, presidential year might be March, but uh-huh. uh, yeah, it's February or March. Well, so. it's coming up soon, and, and in other words, it, it's it's sneaking up on us. And uh, oh yeah, yeah, and uh, so we we will be in tune for sure. Absolutely, Bill Barnett again, former mayor of Naples, and always I still think about being on uh, national television and talking about the hurricanes. That yeah, <laughs> really appreciate. <laughs> I'll ever forget those, Bob. No, I don't think so. None of us will. We really appreciate you coming on the show, Bill. Thanks so much Thanks, for joining us. Thanks, Bob. Have a good one. You as well. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did and learned a lot. We've got some great guests for tomorrow's show, including Ryan Young. He is a senior economist with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Looking forward to talk about the economy. Lots going on. William Yateman is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston Space Architecture will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, always appreciate your listening to the show. Thanks so much for doing that and uh, uh, always want to deliver a good product for you every uh, every show. So I hope you enjoy the show and let your friends know if, if, if you enjoy it uh, because that's one of the ways we reward our advertiser f- for supporting the show. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.